Welcome to Road to Billions Podcast, the mentality of an entrepreneur. With your host, Moise Bertrand. Today's podcast, we're going to be talking about the fundamentals of just real estate. There's different amount of questions that we all just, you know, compiled. You know, I have Adrian Fine, I have Mr. Daniels on the call. So we're going to go ahead and just piggyback off just from last podcast and we just introduced you guys to real estate about how just to, you know, get, you know, accumulated to real estate, getting your feet wet. But today we're just about to go dive in, dive in deeper into like, you know, the actuality of real estate. So Mr. Daniel T's on the call, Adrian Fine once again. So we're going to go start off with the first question, how to fund your first deal. And this is an open question to everybody on the floor. Okay. So um how to fund your first deal yeah so tell um, us about your experience aj tell us about how you how would you recommend it and what's the what's the original way people do it and what's your way of doing it how would you recommend people to do it yeah okay so yeah i want to tackle from my experience uh better yet so you know there's there's you have i'm sure there's more than two ways but these are the two ways that you know we thought about when when funding this deal um it was the conventional or, or traditional way right through, you know, like an FHA loan. Um, and the interest rates are usually low, get it at 3%, right? And, or you can do a hard money, you could go through a hard money lender, uh, right. which is a, likely a higher uh, rate, interest rate, right? So I think the, the fundamental fundamentals of funding a deal, um, and we talked about it before, not necessarily having the capital, but when when it is time to actually have the capital, right? And you're not wholesaling, you're actually paying, you know, buying a home. You just got to have the funds, funds available. And, you know, say you choose the hard money route like we did, right. um, just knowing, knowing uh, the terms, understanding the terms that the lender gives you. Uh, so you, you understand what it is you have to pay uh, monthly, you know, and, and what does that, that rate look like? So, uh, I think ultimately it's just, you know, having having everything in place from step one to 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 uh, step whatever and, you know, funding the deal, paying paying it off or not paying it off, excuse me, buying the home. Right. Uh, and just kind of moving forward from there. So it's a tricky it's very it's a vague question. Um, and that's why I'm kind of like, you know, as far as answering, maybe Daniels can tap into more details of how do you fund your first deal? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, there, there's several different ways that people fund their first deal. Um, you know, typically, uh, I would say it falls into about four categories. So one, like you were saying, you go to FHA route um, or a, let me say traditional route, meaning that you can get an FHA loan, a conventional loan, a VA loan, any sort of what we call government-backed loan. So something that you go to a bank. So the average person, when they first buy a house, like, like, like even myself, my first house that I bought, what did I do? I went to a bank, right? So I went to a bank and I asked for a loan. They asked me for a bunch of paperwork, yada, yada, yada. And, and, and that's how I got the loan for the, for, for, uh, my first house. Right now, right. another way you can go about it. And, and I don't want to get like too, too, too complicated, but there's several different types of traditional loans. Um, you have your FHA, you have conventional, you have arms, you have, have a lot of different types of loans. So depending on what you do in your background, um, it, 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 that's really the type of loan that, 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 that you're going to look for. The second way to do it is to have owner financing, right? So 
I, 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 let's, I'll use myself as an example. There's some houses that I own that I don't have any mortgage on. So someone can come to me and say, hey, Mr. Daniels, I want to buy your house. And I can give them a loan. Right. I can say, okay, all right, fine. Here, here's a loan. So that, that's another way that you can get, you can fund your first property is that you can get a loan. Um, you, can get, you can get a gift for your down payment. So if, if, let's say, for example, you have to, you know, you want to buy a house for, that requires a $15,000 down payment, you can, you can get a gift for that down payment or you can raise that down payment and uh, share that equity with someone else. And we'll get more into that a little bit later. And then uh, the, the, way, the way that, that we did on this last deal is that you can go through and do a hard money, hard money loan. Right. So those are kind of like the four different ways you can um, you, you can go about it. I mean, I'm sure there's some other ones I may have, I may have omitted, but those are like kind of the three or four main ways that you can do it. Um, I think the most common the most common is definitely going to a bank because that's that's going to get you your best terms. The second most common is hard money or some sort of uh, you know at what we call asset asset based lender, right. which looks more at the property versus you. Um, and seller financing is probably one that most people don't think about that I would encourage a lot more people to think about um, because that's really, 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 really a great way to get your first home, especially if you're buying a house from someone you know or someone you have some sort of relationship with. Right. Um, seller financing can be an amazing way for people who have bad credit, who don't have a lot of money. Um, that's a great, 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 great way to get a great deal. Yeah. Um, you know, just um, to touch on the seller financing, I know, before we even secured this deal, we was considering it with the, um, the seller, but you know, reluctantly, he didn't really budge on it because we were just like, okay, we still have some other things, some other options we're gonna try out. But it was the fact that even though the owner financing at that point, the seller makes their own terms. So either you like it and keep it, or if you don't like it, well, they really could do what they wanna do because they don't really have an option. They don't really, they're not mandated to like do that for you. That's like something I would consider you know, a, like a treaty because they have to honestly, you know, trust you enough to own or sell it and finance it to you. Um, but right. I just like that's a that's a great way for someone who doesn't have much money on hand. You know, if you could form that partnership with the seller and, you know, they could trust you and you put down majority of the money, you know, in their terms, what's reasonable. Um, I feel like that could be just a great way of you just not taking as much risk as going through a lender bank or anything else to just it is a mutual understanding between you two. And then, and then also, in addition to that, right, so in, in this particular deal, um, the seller financing was different than what it could have been, right? So let, 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 let's say, for example, we got – let me use an even number so I can make it simple for our listeners. Right. Let's say we wanted to buy a house for $100,000, right? Mm -hmm. And we went to a bank, and because of the amount of money that we make, they'll only loan us, let's just say – 70% of the value of the property. Right. Right. So they'll own us, they'll loan us $70,000. Right. And let's say I only have $10,000 in savings. Mm -hmm. Right. So what I could do is I can go to the owner and say, Hey, can you owner finance $20,000 for me? So then I'll be able to close on this deal. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, so you, so you need 30,000, right? Mm -hmm. You have 10,000 because you have a little bit of savings, but you don't have the whole 30,000. So what you can do is you can go to the owner and say, hey, can you owner finance 20000 And what the owner will do is they'll take out what we call a second mortgage or second lien position on the house. Mm -hmm. Meaning that if you, don't, if you don't pay them back, they can, they can uh, you know, repossess the property. You already don't have 
a secondary right on the property. Um, and, and, and that is usually the way that seller financing works. It can be the opposite. So the seller can be the person financing the 70000 and you come up with the 30000 Or let's say you just need a little bit more money. You can get the seller to finance some of, some of the down payment. And that's how people do big deals. So when you find like bigger deals, and this is for people who are kind of, you know, we got different listeners who are on different levels. You know, if, if you have to have a property where you, let's say you need, you know, 70000 but you only have, 40,000 or something like that. That's how you get to those big deals um, yeah. is being creative with your finance. So seller financing can be the whole property or it can be a portion of the equity required um, for the deal. So hopefully, hopefully that didn't get too complex, but you know, I just want everyone to see that it can work both ways. It could be what we call a senior position or it could be a junior position, yeah. um, the seller finance. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's something a lot of people just start using just if they're trying to really get into real estate, but um, I'm gonna go on. Just to add, just just really, really quick, just to give more um, to to add nuggets to what you you both mentioned. I think you got to also personalize it to like who you, or not who you are, but what what do you plan on doing, right? right. Like, so to Chris's point, I believe that I'm gonna, you know, get my, get, use the FHA loan uh, when it's time. Like for me, when I wanna get that, my first home, right? That I wanna live in, and I want to kind of just settle down, I'm probably going to go that route because it's lower interest and it just makes more sense. So owner financing, maybe it's an investment property. Um, the hard money, lot usually usually it's for investment, uh, either fix or flip, or just depending on the terms, but just understand whichever route you do choose to go, make it personal, personable to like what, you know, your, your I guess your plan at, at hand. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's 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 a key right there because a lot of people don't really, you know, know what they really want to do. Um, but that's that's a gem right there. But next question, I'm gonna go ahead and ask this: How to find good deals? Like, what if you don't know nothing about real estate? How do you find good deals? Open question. How would you find a good deal, AJ? What's what's some ways, or Mr. Daniels? What's some ways you feel like you could just someone who doesn't have any real estate experience or any real estate at all could find their first deal or even a good deal? Uh, I, I think it, it starts with planning and, and understanding what makes sense like to you, right? Because we people can talk all day. We could talk all day about our experience, right? And I, and I think that's good and important, but you kind of got to base it on what, you know, what, what you're trying to do. So we, right, we were looking for a property, you know, that, we felt that can 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 uh, build equity over time, and that was relatively in our price range, right? Um, and, and we felt that was a good deal. I personally look at, you know, good. I, I, what I find is a good deal is if I understand that market, if I understand what's going on in that neighborhood, any any property in there in that neighborhood, I feel like is a good deal. That's that's my opinion because. I just feel with my analysis and my research that when you're familiar with areas in the market, right, different neighborhoods, right, you, you, you're more comfortable, right, and, and you just kind of go with your intuition. So that's kind of how I go about it, um, you know, when it, when it comes to, like, finding good deals. And it just has to make sense financially, like, for me. So uh, I, I, that's, like, my input on that. Yeah. Um, another way, too, I know I just heard this over – a few times you have to know the area. I feel like um, a good point, Mr. Daniels always say is to just be involved into the community, especially if you're a person who's gonna come in and start buying stuff up because 
you know, you don't want to be the person who comes into the neighborhood and, and everybody don't know you. You want to more so be connected with everybody. So if someone is selling a house down the street, hey, you know, AJ, Mr. Daniels, you guys, you do you do real estate, right? Like, yeah, I do. Okay, well, I'm selling this house down the street. And then I feel like that's just ways people just don't normally know how to just tap in. But, you know, usually you could just drive in the neighborhood and just see the neighborhood for yourself. Like, you could just be like, oh, this neighborhood has a lot of traffic. Oh, some sellings around here, foreclosures. And then you just obviously follow up, but just driving around and just, you know, watching for stuff and keeping your ears open. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, definitely. So, you know, uh, and, and uh, like I said, everyone, our listeners, every, you know, some of them are different phases of their real estate career. So I'll answer the question for someone who's kind of in the early stages. And then I'll also answer the question for someone who's kind of in the latter stages. So when you're in the early stages, you really have to assess what is like market value, right? So you have to know what the houses normally sell for in your area, right? And that's the only way you can know if it's a deal. So if houses normally sell for 100000 and you see a house for fifty thousand, you're like, wow, okay, that's a deal, or it could be a deal. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? But if you don't know how much houses normally sell for, then you can't really know what's the deal. Um, you know, so so it's really important to know what the market what the market is bearing, like how much your house is selling for. And the way to do that is you can go on like Zillow, you can go on you know uh, a lot of different you know all the little online websites and whatnot, and just see what's recently sold. Um, you know, just see what's what's selling. What's selling in the neighborhood? You know, you can get cool with some real estate agents. I definitely would encourage everybody to get cool with real estate agents and be like, hey, you know what's selling? How much your house is selling for around here? Yeah. And just kind of just get a gauge of the market. And real estate agents will give that information. You know, so you call them like, hey, you know, what, what is a three-bedroom house usually sell for in this neighborhood? And they'll tell you, oh, about this price. And they can look at it just, you know, straight straight off the screen for them because they have a lot of uh, software that, that they have access to. So I would say getting, getting familiar with the market so you know what a deal is. Yeah. Right. So I just I just tell people like, you know, I, I like to use like analogies sometimes. It's like, you know, if you let's say, for example, you know, it was a concert, you know, a big concert in town. You know, people know that usually for a concert, you know, tickets are like 60 bucks, maybe 100 bucks for VIP. Yeah. So if, if someone's going around selling a, a ticket to a concert for like ten dollars, like, wait a minute, that's a great deal. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Now, it might be something shaky there, but. You know that, hey, at least it's get in. something I should invest in. All right, you might not get in. <laughs> but you, at least you know that, okay, this is some sort of deal because you know what it usually sells for, right? You're familiar with the product, you know? So um, you want to be familiar with the product to the point that you know what's a good deal. Yeah. Um, now, as you get more advanced, it, it becomes more mathematical. Like, uh, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter to me. It, it does matter, but I know what, if, if I'm going to rent out a house, I know what the mortgage is going to be on that property. Yeah. So as long as what the mortgage is for that property is less than what I can rent it out for, as long as that gets me the return I'm looking for, then to me, it could be a good deal. Now, to someone else, it might be overpriced. Uh, they might say, well, I don't want to pay that much. Da, 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 da. Because in their head, they haven't calculated what they can rent it out at or, or we're thinking at it from a different perspective, right? So I had a long conversation with someone based. I was with a group of investors. Um, and, you know, not a lot of people rent out to college students. So when people look at houses, they look at it as one house versus when you rent out to college students, you can look at it as per bedroom, right? right? So when you're calculating the amount of rent you can get, when you're renting rooms, you're renting a house out per bedroom, you can, you can get a lot higher rate versus renting it out as a whole house at one time, you know? So, so to me, I'm analyzing the deal differently because I'm looking at it through a different lens. 
um, than, than another investor. So, you know, w- w- once you understand your investment requirements and the required return that you have from your properties, then that also helps you be able to find good deals because the deals are going to meet within your financial criteria. Definitely. I definitely understand that. I feel like a lot of people don't plan ahead and that's what makes them afraid because they just like, well, if I buy the property, then what? So it's like, they're kind of like setting themselves up. But honestly, from the experience, I feel like you just have to know numbers. Like if you, if you know how to add, if you know how to subtract and you know how to multiply, I feel like everything just has to just flow at that point because you will already know what to do next. You need 10,000 for six months or seven months and just mortgage, then you need to know how much the renovations, how much you need to put extra on the side. Just people have to know how to think and plan in advance. And I feel like that's what's, that's what's really, you know, stopping people from, you know, doing real estate. But um, another question too is, should I invest in my area or other places? Yeah, I think that's just a good transition into kind of what, you know, we all, we all talked about, you know, investing in your area, area, right? So to, to Daniel's point, when you know, and with all our points, actually, we know that area, like I, so just break it down, right? So the property we got is no secret, it's by FAMU, right? Like we knew ultimately that there was a year of uncertainty, right? A lot of apartments lost money, a lot of, a lot of people lost money, right? Because people weren't running out, we was in a pandemic. We knew just thinking and, and, and just understanding the area that school would eventually, you know, students would eventually come back to school and they would need somewhere to live. Right. And and in the process of that, there's a a new class coming in. So parents, you know, understand that, okay, not not every uh, student has a vehicle. Right. So understanding the area again. So and I'll I'll give you like two examples. Right. So the first example is we knew students would come back. We said, why not get a a home, a property in that area where it's it's, it's in a nice area, it's, it's feasible for the students. Um, and it's affordable housing. So from there, we started doing our own research, right? Secondly, we, we had, again, understanding resources and, and mentors. Chris, Christopher Daniels knew that, that what was going on, that gentrification from FSU over to our side, to FSU, up to, excuse me, the FAMU side. So right. because of that knowledge, right, we said it's just a win-win, right? So um, when you ask, should I invest in my area, that we technically invested in our area. And then on top of that, I add a bonus, Chris lives in that area, so he knows it times 10, right? So he understands where, where it is now and where it's going. So I personally would, would uh, encourage, you know, people to, to learn about that area. But, I'll, but I'll, on contrary to that side, I'm, I'm living in Columbus, Ohio. And as I learn this area, it's not my area, um, but I'm still learning it, right? I'm, I'm out here learning, seeing what, what other properties, you know, we can start dabbling into, like, as I continue to learn. So you just have to be, you have to be open-minded. But I think for me, you know, eat, not an easier route, but a more something that I'm more comfortable putting my money in somewhere I know and understand what, you know, that market in that area. I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Um, to that point, is there anything you want to say about that, Mr. Daniels, as far as like, what if somebody stays, like how you said, um, AJ, you live in Columbus, Ohio, but what if someone wants to invest in the area they don't know anyone in? So what's, what, what, what do you do then? How do you go about that then? Yeah, I mean it's, it's a great question, and it's something. It's a it's a it's a problem that is very very common in real estate. So um, some people live in markets that they're priced out of, right? So let's say you live in maybe uh, Miami, maybe Atlanta, maybe California, some place like that. You know, you may not be able to afford a house in that in that city. So you might say, well, look, I want I, I want to buy a property. So what am I going to do? 
So the answer to that question is you have to go out of town, right? So to so invest out of town, just quickly, you have to be able to create a team and you have to be within, you have to be, you have to be able to absorb the cost of, of, of going to that city. So I invest in Cincinnati as well, even though I live in Tallahassee. So right. I don't mind flying to Cincinnati to have to take care of some business. Now, I happen to be in my hometown, so it's not a big deal to me. Now, let's say I had to fly to some city I didn't really like or I didn't want to be there, other than, you know, then I really wouldn't do it. So I would encourage people to either invest in a place where they live or a city that they don't mind traveling to any time if they have to take care of some business and it won't be a big cost. Like for me, if I have to go to Cincinnati, it's fine. I stay with my mom, my, my parents, you know, my family, whatever. It's not, not a big deal. I just have to fly up there and drive. But let's say I had to stay in a hotel, a whole bunch of other expenses, then it starts not making sense um, when you have out-of-town property. Definitely. I definitely like that that's this stuff and, and, and it's just really quick like this is something important too like so as i'm i'm out here and, and chris you have properties in ohio so i'm sure you you know about this but like some properties believe it or not like some areas not properties i would say areas right columbus ohio for instance uh these properties don't appreciate at you know as quickly as a miami or you know, Atlanta, whatever, right? So you understanding the, again, understanding the values of, of the home is important. Cause me, me looking out here, I'm like, hey guys, I see a duplex for one, 140. Y'all gonna say, huh? But, and it, it's a, it, we, I think it's a good deal, but understanding, okay, if we use this as a fixer flip, it may not, may not appreciate as quick as we think. So just again, utilizing your resources, asking questions, um, and understanding state by state is it, different um, when it comes to properties. Definitely. Um, we're about to wrap up the podcast very soon, but you know, the last question, and we also have a bonus question too at the end, but uh, we got like five minutes left, but essentially what are the key things for everyone who wants to invest in real estate? know? like what are some quick things, some quick spark notes you guys want to just let people know the viewers. Well, I'm going to start off. I mean, I'll, I'll just say, don't be afraid. <laughs> Put the sugar, man. You know, experience is the best teacher. Um, and the best, the second best teacher is working with someone who's experienced, right? So, you know, I would say jump out there and, and partner up with someone. You know, pretty much everyone you talk to who's successful in real estate and really in anything, they'll always tell you that they got with a good mentor early in their career who helped them through the little bumps along the way. And then they became successful. Yeah, and really quick, just find a mentor and develop a plan. Yeah, that mentor is really crucial. I feel like once you get that, that's like bridging the gap for what things you need to really accomplish. But, you know, that's that's just great advice and that's all around info. But the bonus question is, what's the difference between Airbnb and owning a home? And we're going to talk more about this about the next episode. We, we just about to touch this on briefly. So really quick, I'll, I'll let uh, Daniel take this one. Um, but... The bonus question, just some context behind it, guys, is something that we're going to, you know, have on this podcast where you submit a question and you, your, your question is chosen and we'll, we'll answer your question on this podcast. So feel free to submit questions via DM, text, phone, whatever. Um, but I think it's important because we're answering your, you know, these specific questions tailored to your needs. Definitely. Anything you want to say, Yeah, so... Um... You know, Airbnb are, let me not just say Airbnb, the short-term rentals are a really hot thing now. Um, so I, I, I'll, I'll kind of break it down. 
you can do Airbnb or short-term rentals on a property that you own. So like, let's say you buy a house and you put it on Airbnb or whatever short-term rental, or you can do that with the property that you're leasing. And that's what gets a lot of people excited because you might be like, hey, you know, I don't have enough money to buy a house, but I do have enough money to rent a house, right? right. So instead of me, instead of me spending a hundred thousand dollars to buy a house, I could spend, you know, three thousand dollars to sign a lease and put down, you know, my deposit and whatever, you know. And I then I have an asset I can put on Airbnb. Um, so what people will do is they'll say, Well, okay, this this owner wants me to is gonna rent the house to me for a thousand a month. If I put it on Airbnb for you know, I don't know, a hundred dollars a day, and I rent it out, you know, uh, 20 days out the month, then I'll make two thousand. Right. So I'm only paying a thousand dollars a month in rent, but I'm making two thousand dollars a property. So I'm making a thousand dollars, you know, profit every single month right. off of this property. Right. And then and you could take that three thousand and let's say you have twenty thousand, so you can do six of them. Yeah. So now, now you make it now you make it six thousand a month, which is you know practically a little bit shy of you know eighty, ninety thousand a year just off of off of the eighteen thousand dollar investment, you know, roughly give it take, right? So, you know, this is what people are doing, have done in uh, bigger cities. So there's definitely opportunity out there now. But the only problem is, like everything, it's, it was sweet in the early days, but now landlords have kind of got hit to it. And some landlords don't like that, you know, um, because ultimately it's their property. And they feel like, how are you making more money off my property than I am? You know, <laughs> so some people don't really like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not one of those type of people, but there's a lot of people who are pocket watchers. They're like, well, damn, how long? If you make it too bad, I'm about to charge you more. Like, you know what I'm saying? So they yeah. started raising the <laughs> price more, you know, to, 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 well, you still can make money, but they ain't going to let you just eat me. You know what I'm saying? So, so now landlords who are like savvy. Now, every landlord is not savvy. That's the good thing about, you know, real estate. And that's why there's always opportunities because everyone's not savvy like that. Some people don't care. Some people will say, well, look, I'll rent you this house for $1,000. They don't care if you make 6000 a month. As long as they get the 1000 they cool. Yeah. Well, other people they're gonna be like, nah, it's worth more now, and da 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 da, and they're really gonna get, they're really gonna, they're gonna make sure that you know, they or the, they're gonna they, ask you, to, or they're gonna ask you to give them a cut, which I feel mm-hmm. like ultimately is 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 fair, you know, because it's like okay, it is technically their property, they took a lot more risk than you by you know by buying the property initially, but you know, what 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 I suggest, and I'm gonna kind of not, not get too deep in this because. On the next episode, we're going to go into a lot more detail about short-term rentals. Right now, from a political standpoint and from a legal standpoint, they're kind of in a hazy zone. Some cities are starting to ban them or they're starting to say you have to actually live in the house with the people or, or they only can stay there for like two months out the year. Like there's a lot of rules and regulations happening now. So for most people, the smartest thing right now, if you want to get into Airbnb, is do it with a rental. Don't buy a house to put it on Airbnb. Do it with a rental. Because yeah. worst case scenario, you get jammed up for a couple months. You know, you have to you have to ride out the you know the lease for a year or so uh, or about a year. And you know, you didn't make money, but you didn't really lose a lot of money. But if you buy a house for the purpose of putting it on Airbnb and then the city says, nah, no more Airbnb, then you're gonna be crying. You know, so um, I would suggest right now to just look into leasing them and bring them out. But we'll talk about that a lot more. Sure, for sure. So definitely dropped a lot of gems this episode. Um, you know, we talked about four different, even five different scenarios about just getting your first real estate deal in and, you know, even specified how to find your first deal. So 
you know, all in all, you know, this was a great podcast for Adrian Fine and Mr. Daniels. As you guys could hear, the next episode is going to go more into deep um, depth about just Airbnb um, rental properties. And after that, you guys just could DM us um, for your questions and we're just going to go ahead and follow the same protocol next time. But all in all, I appreciate you guys for doing World of Buildings podcast and guys have a great day.